Hello, happy Thursday, everyone. I'm just jumping in here at the beginning to give a quick reminder about the live tweets and watch alongs that we are doing for the final two episodes. Episode 7 will be on February 24th at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, and Episode 8 will be on March 3rd at 5 p.m. Pacific and 8 p.m. Eastern. You can find our Twitter at Desire Made Real, and there will be a link for a rabbit room there where we can all watch together. I also wanted to throw in a quick mention now that we're nearing the end of the show. We are going to be recording a wrap-up episode after all of our episodes have posted where we will be discussing our hopes for season two and answering any questions. So if you have anything you want us to talk about, please send us an email at desiremaderealpod at gmail.com. And now into the episode. Welcome to Desire Made Real, a discovery of witches podcast where we recap every episode of the television show spoiler free. I'm one of your hosts, Mandy Kay, and when I'm not talking about the forbidden love of a vampire and a witch, I'm talking about movies on my other show, Pop Culturally Deprived. And I'm Caitlin, and when I'm not talking about a discovery of witches, I'm podcasting about Lord of the Rings on So You Want to Read Tolkien. Each week, we'll recap the episode spoiler-free, and we'll also be joined by our friend, Dr. Anya, an evolutionary biologist, who will talk about the science of the show. We'll also include a segment at the end to discuss the books, how well the adaptation works, and we will likely dive into some spoilers here, but don't worry, we'll give plenty of warning before we get there. Episode 6 was directed by Sarah Walker and written by Charlene James. And this is the episode where Matthew and Baldwin race to save Diana from torture. And Sophie shocks Agatha with a confession. And then we get eight solid minutes of Satu, Diana, and Jarbear. I didn't realize it was so much. I actually checked the timing when we finally get Matthew discovering that she's not there. I was like, how long have we been watching this before we even get to another part of the story? And it was eight minutes in. I was shocked. So we start off with some real bad special effects. Oh, and, they're real um, bad. They don't get they don't get any better in this episode. Unfortunately, they really don't. It's so disappointing because the episode itself is really good, mm-hmm. but the the effects really detract from it because they just make you cringe. Yeah, and I'm okay with like there's there's one later that's not good, but it's a quick one, so I'm like whatever. But the whenever they've got a sort of wide shot of flying or floating or anything, mm-hmm. the green screen is just horrifically apparent. Like, like it looks like the building around them is a completely different scale. <laughs> well, in this particular scene, so it's Satu who has stolen Diana from uh, Matthew's property. And so yeah, surprise, she's, surprise. <laughs> she's flying her away. And, and just looking at the shot, you can tell they're not actually moving. They're yeah. just hanging there with the screen behind them, and there's wind blowing their hair. Like, I, it, it's real bad. And then when they land, like, the building doesn't quite look like it's there. Yeah. And then we cut to them actually being in the building, and it looks completely different. Mm-hmm. But that's fine. We still like the episode. Let's not bash it too hard, I suppose. It's okay to love the things that you love, despite their flaws. 
which I think we do criticize the things (laughs) that we love. Yeah. Oh, and so then we realize that Satu and Jerbear have joined forces to capture Diana and take her away to get answers. But Satu, interestingly enough, tells Jerbear to take his hands off of Diana when he approaches her and is like threatening her because Satu, even though she is working with Jerbear and he's helping her, he gave her this place to bring Diana. She's still more loyal to Diana because Diana's a witch and Jerbear's a vampire. It's all very interesting, like power dynamics and power differentials among creatures. I like the idea that Setu was using Gerber mm-hmm. and didn't ever have any plans on letting him have his own special time with Diana, whatever Gerber was going to do. <laughs> I, I suspect that's true, but I feel like that makes Setu slightly naive because Gerber is scary. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think she realized, you know, that Peter's been using her and thought, well, then I can use people, too, without really having much of an understanding of how scary Gerber is. Yeah. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that. And then we get Satu. We get a long stretch of Satu and Diana together um, locked Mm -hmm. in this really, really gray courtyard made of stone ruins and just dirt it's just it's gray i don't know it's it's not an impressive set visually mm-hmm. which detracts from it a little bit but i think they were going for that because they wanted us to focus on the characters they wanted us to focus on what was happening between diana and Satu. yeah and there's no blue in this scene so you know it's not a happy scene right exactly it's all gray or black yeah. Um, although Satu's jacket randomly changes from green to black, depending on the this. lighting. <laughs> the first time I watched it, I thought that they had actually done a continuity error and she was wearing a different jacket mid-scene. But it turns out it was just like the lighting made it look different. But okay, that's neither here nor there. Um, I really, really enjoy the fact here that Diana has genuine fear when she was faced with Gerber. Like you could see it on her face. It was palpable. Mm-hmm. She was terrified of him. But as soon as she's alone with Satu, it's gone. She completely stands her ground and she stands up to Satu and she's like, I'm not telling you anything. And I I really like that we do see Diana try to access her magic Mm -hmm. here and fight her way up, but it it doesn't quite work Mm -hmm. or it looks like Satu is more powerful than her. Mm -hmm. I just liked that they showed she didn't just stand there and take it. Right. She's she's trying to control her magic, which we have mm-hmm. seen be completely uncontrollable for her. Um, she's only just begun to access it. And so it, I think it's reasonable and expected that it wouldn't work against someone who we've seen. I mean, Peter Knox is supposedly the most powerful witch on the congregation. And even he fears saw too. Yeah. A little bit. Um, and, and so I feel like that was appropriate that, that she would try and and fail she she managed defensively to keep satu out of her mind in that moment she just wasn't able to offensively do anything to satu oh that was some bad special effects too yeah yeah it was Uh, yeah this this episode tried real hard with the effects um because it did have a lot of action in it but it it did not pass muster on this i feel like some of the magic though would have been better without the effects like we would have understood, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. it, it feels kind of like they were coddling the audience and not doing it well. 
Maybe. Hmm. I'm not sure if, if it was that or if they just didn't have the budget to do it well and they, they did what they could with what they had. But I feel like if they'd just not done it, like, and, like, the actors are good enough, we would have gotten it. Oh, that's true. And then afterwards, even, like, Satu states what happened out loud. Yeah. <laughs> so we definitely would have gotten it. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I actually really like about this long stretch of Satu and Diana together is how Satu interacts with Diana. So mm-hmm. immediately she tells, she lies to Diana up front. She tells Diana that Jillian is dead. And my first instinct was, is she lying? Like, Di- Jillian is not dead. And then I started wondering, did Jillian die off screen? And I just forgot, like, what happened here? She was really convincing in that lie. <laughs> yeah. And I'd be interested in knowing, like, we don't know if Satu knows if Jillian's dead, do we? Because I feel like they just, I could be very wrong here, but I feel like they just talked about how Jillian was attacked. They didn't say whether or not she lived, maybe? Oh, I don't remember. Oh, you know, I think you're right. I think if they had said she died, that would have been a much bigger deal than they made. Yeah. So I, they probably just said she was attacked. And it's possible Satu assumed. Maybe yeah. she didn't think she was lying. That's interesting. Not that that really matters, but right. I just thought of that. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's that's another interesting character beat, which actually mm-hmm. I think fits in with Satu. Satu is very complex and complicated in this episode. We see her simultaneously showing empathy and compassion while torturing Diana. Yeah, and I, I really like how it's been built up because a slight book comparison here, I suppose, but this is when we first meet her in the book. We have seen nothing before this. Right. And I think this works so much better, having mm-hmm. her have this really complicated motivation Mm -hmm. about what she wants to do and how far she wants to take it yeah and and we don't even know the extent of her motivation at this point we we're Mm -hmm. just seeing tiny bits and pieces of it um i i think i love the character beat where she's trying to make diana fight back she's trying to get diana angry she's provoking her by talking about her parents and Diana turns on her and says, witches killed my parents. And Satu's like, no, no, they didn't. And, and Diana like, is adamant about what happened, that witches did it and witches covered it up. And Satu, I, I believe she was crying in this. She's like cried in the scene. Yeah. And, and then she quickly tries to rationalize it because she's just so loyal to the order of things as they are supposed to be. So if the witches did this, they must have had a good reason. It must be because they were keeping secrets. So she's genuinely shocked, but at the same time, she still tries to rationalize it. And I genuinely believe that she is rationalizing what she's doing to Diana here. Like, I don't yeah, think Satu thinks she's a bad person. I, hmm. I think she's a bad person, but I don't necessarily think it's all her own fault. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think she was born a bad person. I think she's been lied to a lot and manipulated a lot. And this whole setup with the congregation has kind of messed with her head. Oh, I absolutely think she's a bad person. I just don't think she thinks she's a bad person. Oh, okay. Sorry, I misunderstood. Yeah, um, I think she feels completely justified in what she's doing and that she thinks she's getting information that the congregation needs, at the very least, that the other witches need. And so she's going to do what she needs to do. And I think... I think that's a fascinating look at her because everything that we've gotten from her up until this point has felt very malicious 
I think. Mm -hmm. But then in this episode, we do get to see some of her compassion, um, especially in the end with her interaction with the, um, how do you say it? Is it Mary Diana? Yeah. Um, uh, Yeah. So with her interaction with the Mary Diana and and her utter despair of what she had been through for hundreds of years. And, And it's, it's rare to see that level of empathy from a villain. Mm-hmm. So I just, I really like what they've done with Satu on the show. That's what all I of that too. was to say. And it makes her so much more interesting of a villain than Javert or Knox, who are just They're assholes. just bullies. Yeah. They're absolute bullies in it for the power. Um, and and why, while we don't entirely know what Satu is in it for, because we know now it's not just for Peter, because she's gone against Peter here. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, clearly not just for power i would have been really interested to see like if diana and matthew had never gotten together or met or whatever what path satu would have taken oh that's true because half of what is driving her is the fact that a vampire is mixed up in it yeah Hmm. curious and i think like she rationalizes like you said a lot of what she's doing to diana because diana has quote unquote betrayed the witches Mm -hmm. and so i think she kind of thinks of diana as not being part of the group anymore right yeah so it just would have been interesting to see but again Mm -hmm. then we wouldn't have a story at all right yeah yeah but we have a good story as it is Mm -hmm. just characters i mean they're people too right (laughs) yeah (laughs) and then we cut back to gerber and his head in a box and uh i don't I think we talked about this before. Do we know why this head in a box is wearing this weird mask? We don't. It's just, it's weird. It, it bothers me. I, I mean, like th- that he has a traveling head in, head in the box. <laughs> he just brings it with him, yeah. He just brings it with him. Like, um, what? So the, yeah, the, the prophecy, we hear it again. Um, and this time, he specifically asks her, you know, there are two witches here who are very powerful. Is it one of them? Or which of them is it? So we know now that Jerbear is thinking, like, this is why Jerbear agreed to work with Satu. Because mm-hmm. Satu has power, and he thought it could be her. But that's doesn't really get brought up again in this episode. And then we finally get to Matthew waking up alone in the bed. So I remember, I forget exactly the wording, but somebody somewhere on the internet wrote something like, the showrunners didn't have to linger on him like they did, but they did that just for us. Because <laughs> it is a good, like, four-second shot of him just standing there in basically nothing. Right. And, I mean, because at that point, he's not even upset. He's just kind of looking around in that confusion that you have after you wake up. Uh-huh. He's, like, not quite awake. Diana's not there. So he's just kind of looking around. I'm not going to complain about that shot. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> Me neither. It's, it's a nice shot. And and that's all we get is he's, he wakes up, he realizes Diana's not there, he stands there in his underwear, and then we cut back to Satu in the courtyard with Diana. It's literally just like, here's Matthew. In his underwear. Yep. Yep. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> and then we get Satu with this little drum. She's using it as a focus, I think, mm-hmm. to begin the spell that Peter told her not to use in the last episode. The one to open her up, I think. I think that's what it was. What he called it in the last episode. Yeah, an, an opening spell or 
something. Right, right. And then we get more not so great effects in this torture scene, in yeah. the beginning of the torture scene. Um, Satsu starts like levitating Diana and throwing her to the ground, except Diana's kind of gently falling to the ground. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she would not sustain the injuries that she gets um, by falling the way that she fell. <laughs> it just was not convincing. No. Um, but special effects aside, after she's like flips Diana around and starts like doing the opening spell or whatever it is, I feel like even though we, we did just talk about this a bit, but how she she has shown the more loyalty to Di- to Diana, here she like she like grabs her by the hair mm-hmm. as she's doing the spell and it just really showcased how she's she's stopped thinking of her as like a person. Yeah. Yeah. She once she starts doing the spell, I think that changes Satu a little bit. She even like her face changes. Like her yeah. eyes change and she becomes I wanna say less than human, but technically she's a witch, not a human, so I don't I don't know what the equivalent right. would be there. But yeah, you're right. She does seem to sort of check out as she's doing it. And you know, actually one thing I did really like in this scene is um Teresa's acting. Cause so often when you hear people screaming or whatever on screen it just doesn't sound doesn't sound great but Mm -hmm. i thought she did a really good job here pretending to be tortured and in pain yes absolutely the look on her face and everything yeah it's it's actually kind of hard to watch with the the Mm -hmm. screaming and yeah she's terrified and she's in pain and it's terrible and that's actually when we cut to m in madison um she's crying again it's very much set up the way it was in the other episode um but this time we actually get to see a little bit of what she sees in the smoke, which I thought was interesting because I, I know the last episode I complained that we couldn't see what was happening. And so it was confusing. She had to tell us what she saw. And in this, the smoke rose up and it was clearly two figures. One was light, one was dark. Um, and, and so it and they were in the figures of, of people, of women. And so it makes sense that she was seeing Diana. Now, granted, when she tells Matthew about her vision later, she goes into more detail and she saw the castle and all that stuff, which we didn't see. But I thought it was a nice detail for them to at least show the audience more than they did the last time. Yeah, that is like the one special effect in this episode that was really good. Yeah, I don't know how they did it, but I really like it. Although this brings up something that I meant to mention earlier when Gerbert calls the witches light and dark. Like, what is even referring to their hair color? Like, who's decided that one is light and one is dark? Oh, that's a really good point. I wonder if he just assumes Satu is dark because she's willing to work with a vampire. Would a vampire think that way, though? And if they I cast- think so, because of how, of how deeply rooted the creature bigotry is. Like, vampires feel that way about witches. Witches feel that way about vampires. They hate each other. I think, I think he would understand how significant it is that she came to him. And that she did it secretly without any of the other witches knowing. I would have been interested to see, like, if they'd cast Satu how she's described in the book, which is that, like, stereotypical blonde Scandinavian. So they both would have been... Mm-hmm. Y- y- you know, I just, I don't understand oh, yeah. why people are getting this light and dark thing for from mm-hmm. not really knowing them or their motivations. Because as far as Gervais is concerned, like, Diana's the one who's betrayed witches and is keeping the book from people and i don't know 
Yeah, the light no, the you are absolutely weird. right. I, maybe it really is just coloring, <laughs> which it never is on these things, but that's really all Jerry Bear would have to go on, I think. At yeah. least to call Diana light. Hmm. I hadn't considered that. I just accepted the trope. I guess it is what it is. Yeah. Um, and then we're back at Sept Terrace and Baldwin arrives in a helicopter. And he walks in and then Matthew comes downstairs all disheveled and punches Baldwin in the face. And I kind of <laughs> like it. Yes, he does. Just no hello, no no anything, just boop, right in the face. I think he sort of yells, where is she? Or what has the congregation done with her? And then he throws Baldwin on the table, climbs on top of him, and bites him. <laughs> and Baldwin is presumably not happy about this. Oh, Baldwin is pissed off in the entirety of this episode. <laughs> it's, it's great. I love it. Yeah, it's very interesting, I guess, to see vampire-sibling rivalry dynamics. Yeah, there's definitely a power struggle between them, um, which we see more of later in the episode. Um, but you you see it here, too, definitely, when Matthew is physically trying to subdue Baldwin. Do you think Matthew, like, is genuinely stronger or what have you than Baldwin? Or do you think Baldwin just sort of let him have that one? I I think in the moment, Matthew's rage probably did make him stronger. Okay. Especially since he also, he surprised Baldwin. You know, Baldwin came in all arrogant, expecting to tell Matthew give her up you know and instead he gets faced with a matthew punch <laughs> so i think the combination of those two things would i would buy that that would make matthew stronger in that moment okay but not necessarily outside of this moment not necessarily but we haven't seen enough of either of them really to know physically who would be stronger we've seen more of matthew's anger but it's always mm -hmm. been centered around protecting diana mm-hmm and we've seen Baldwin's anger when it comes to uh, vampire loyalty, congregation loyalty, respecting rules. Mm -hmm. um, but we've never seen either of them actually face an opponent, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's true. So it's, it's hard to say. I think Book Matthew is stronger than Book Baldwin. Okay, yeah. But it, on the show, we, we, I just don't think we know. I think Matthew's one of the main characters, so we're supposed to think he's stronger, maybe? I don't know. Then we uh, swap back to the torture, and Satu, like, there was a very visual element to the opening spell she was doing, so then that sort of changes into her burning a design onto Diana's back. Mm -hmm. And then they both sort of, oh, and the, like, circle of fire that we saw her do in the first episode, that, like, pops up around them again. Mm hmm And then they both just collapse in that circle. Yeah. Um, and in between, while Satu's doing the spell, we do cut a couple of times back to Satur. Um, some of it was punching Baldwin, and some of it was Mart realizing that Diana was taken. She comes in and says... You know, somebody took her, her scent ends in the garden. There's somebody with her. And that kind mm -hmm. of diffuses the situation between Matthew and Baldwin. And then we cut back to uh, the two witches completely just collapsing because 
Satu has used everything in her in this spell. That I bought. I don't know. The fire was a good... Uh, that was probably a practical effect. That's why it was good. Yeah, the fire shooting out of her hands was not great. But uh, the, yeah. the ring of fire was good. Yeah. And I didn't mind, like, the the symbols on Diana's back. I thought that was pretty well done. It... No? Yeah, yeah. I'll, well, I'll, I'll say that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'll allow it. <laughs> and then when they're in the garden... Oh, this is just a quick thing, like following Diana's scent and Matthew's like, how could it just end here? And Baldwin just sort of gestures up. <laughs> I don't know why I find that hilarious, <laughs> but I do. He just like looks up and kind of points a little bit with his finger. And then, but everybody knows exactly what he means, that somebody flew her away. <laughs> I don't know why I find it hilarious, but I do. The look on his face, the whole thing, like... <laughs> I honestly don't remember that bit. I and also he's like helping even though Matthew just beat him up. Mm-hmm. I I don't know. It's just hilarious to me. Well, because at that point he's protect he's trying to protect the property. You know yeah. he's he's all of a sudden realizing somebody came on his property and took something off of his property. It doesn't matter what yeah. they took. They took something from his property, and so all of a sudden that's his priority. Yeah, this is unacceptable. Protecting his pride, as it were. Yes. And then uh, I think we do cut back to the the where Satu and Diana are, but I also want to talk about when Baldwin calls Knox to to make sure. They're... Oh no, wait, wait, wait. Matthew asks what kind of witch could fly like that because mm-hmm. it has to be something powerful. And I think Baldwin mentions that he knows Knox can't fly. Yes. So that's how we know that Matthew knows that Knox didn't take her. Right. That was a bit confusing. Yeah, but he still believes Knox had something to do with it. Right. And I think Baldwin does too, because Knox is the most powerful witch on the congregation. And so I think he said if if Knox didn't do it, Knox at least had to know who it was, which is what prompts the call. Mm -hmm. Um, But you're right. Right before we switch to the call, that's when we cut to Satu waking up. And she's just absolutely furious and it's kind of unclear why she's so furious but i think it's because she didn't get any new information like the spell didn't work the way she wanted it to and so then she just grabs diana by the foot and drags her to the hole and drops her in the hole yeah and i think that's right because we've seen since like episode two like all she wants is to see inside diana Mm -hmm. she wants to know why diana has power yeah and she like made this alliance or whatever with a vampire which i'm sure hurt her pride or witchy sensibilities whatever all in order to get it and she still didn't get it right which i kind of love mm-hmm. but then she throws diana down a hole and it's fun <laughs> yeah so then we do get that phone call yeah which where baldwin is just interrogating Knox, but where diana and setu are and so we, we, we do finally learn the name of the other witch on the congregation, which is Sigismund, which is an awesome name. It is an I awesome name. Say. Yeah. Especially for a witch. Fabulous. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why. I f- again, I find this hilarious, but Peter sort of hesitates and then says, and Satu is, and he kind of looks around as if expecting to see her. Yeah. <laughs> She's here. <laughs> and then he's like, uh, Satu is here, too. And I find that hilarious. 
and then he hangs up the phone and he's just like where is Setu? oh shit yeah no i think that was my favorite part of that section yeah. is he hangs up the phone and he he looks at sigismund and he's like where is Setu? you know and it's like he's completely yeah. baffled and he has just realized shit has gone down and Setu is part of it and i like I, I like it's not really gone into here but i like peter knox knowing that he is no longer in control of her yeah yeah absolutely i look forward to seeing peter knox and satu reunited after yeah. this and just as a just to say because we were talking earlier about peter knox being the most powerful witch on the on the congregation i feel like according to everybody else peter knox is the most powerful witch but Setu is more powerful than him. Yes. Okay. You're right. I, I, nobody knows enough about Setu. She's new. Yeah. So yeah. according to everybody else, and as far as anybody else knows, Peter Knox is. Yeah. Okay. So Just wanted to make sure we're no, on the yeah, same. That, that's a good clarification. Then we learn that Satu has lost her magic. Which is an interesting development. And I don't, I don't remember that happening in the book. I have no comment about that right now. Okay. Great. And <laughs> so then Javert drags her up to the head and introduces them because he's pissed that he doesn't get to torture Diana because she's down the hole. Wait. Am I skipping things? Probably. You have Satu meets Boxhead at number 19 and we're at number 15. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just kept on going with that. Yeah. Um, so it's okay. just it's it's a really quick scene where we learn that Satu's magic is gone because um, oh. we're we're looking at her from Diana's perspective up the hole, and she's she tries to do something to Diana. She stretches out her hand, which is what she does every time she's trying to do magic, and nothing happens. And she just does this really weird scream, and then at the same time, the head in a box screams, which I find weird. I don't understand. They don't explain it, and they immediately cut back to Sarah calling Matthew it's a very quick scene and it really doesn't make any sense and all it does is show us that Satu Satu's magic is gone although they don't actually state that Satu's magic is gone until later maybe they were just trying to show that the head was like connected in somehow to these events Mm -hmm. I don't know yeah it it honestly I don't think the episode would have been any worse off if it hadn't been there like it could have been gone and nothing would have changed. I agree, except for the foreshadowing that we get at the end. Oh, I just mean this specific scene. Oh, okay. Not yeah, the whole yeah, head no. thing, just this Sorry. specific scene. Yeah, no, this scene did not need head. And <laughs> it didn't. It really didn't. Um, but I also think the head in a box is creepy. So any scene that we get that doesn't have the head in a box is a good one. Yeah, we switch back to Septurs, and they're talking about looking at maps of the area and talking about where they could find Diana when Sarah calls Matthew, which is just weird to me because they talk as if they've talked before. Right. So, like, how did Sarah have Matthew's cell phone number? How did Matthew know that it was Sarah? Mm-hmm. Have they talked before? Like, what's happening here? Uh like this is the first time in this episode that it is implied conversations happened without our knowing Mm -hmm. so i thought that was different and interesting i don't know i would have been interested to see the first time they talked right i mean i think it's it's good when you've got a a you know we've got a relationship developing between them and 
Diana is getting to know Matthew's family, so it only makes sense that Matthew should be getting to know her family. Mm-hmm. But in the timeline of what we've gotten, it doesn't really make sense. I do like when he pulls out his phone and sees that it's her. He's just like, oh, Christ. Yeah. I guess Isabel gets enough of a hint from M to figure out where Diana is. Mm-hmm. And then we get to see Diana in the oubliette or the hole in the ground. Yes. And I think this is probably probably my least favorite part of the episode. It, I, yeah, I agree. Okay. So, so we get to see Diana essentially pass out at the bottom of this hole. And she has a dream or a vision or something. She's in a room with her parents. And there are all these spider webs everywhere. Because, of course, this show mm-hmm. likes spider webs for symbolism for reasons. And then we get to hear her mom reading her a story or telling her a story that she used to tell her in her childhood. And this time she says, I can't skip over the bad parts of the story. And then we get flashbacks. We're on episode six. We don't need flashbacks. Especially this episode, yeah. Right. There are flashbacks in this scene from this episode. Like, that's... I feel like that's just lazy, honestly. I don't know. Yeah. Um, But I did like that they get to the part of the story where they're like, you know, the prince couldn't get down to her, so Diana had to help herself. Yeah, and I think this is intercut a little bit with um, uh, Matthew and Baldwin approaching the castle but and, and finding her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're being super stealthy in that helicopter, right? Right. Like, let's just let everybody know we're coming. Cool. I'm honestly surprised Javert didn't go out to meet them and have a big battle, but instead he, like, took off. I'm like, what? Yeah, yeah there, and there was um, somewhere in there, in between all of these cuts, he does bring Satu comes to him. And he is upset with her for not getting any information out of Diana. And then this is where we specifically find out that she has lost her power because he wants Satu to bring Diana to him. And she says, no, she's in the hole. And he's like, well, get her out. And she's like, I can't. My magic's gone. Yeah. Um, and so Jerbear gets very upset and drags Satu by her hair to meet the head in the box to threaten her. This is what happens to witches who... To, what did he say? Who anger me or who don't do what I say? Something like that. Yeah. Um, But it was very clearly a threat that if you don't do what I say, I'm going to turn you into a head in a box. And he'd have like a whole collection. Right. You know, his whole head in a box room. It would be, I mean, I guess when you're that old, you have to have a hobby. Right. Yeah. But then Jerbear hears that stealthy helicopter and realizes they are coming to get Diana. And so he locks Satu in the room and runs away. Which I don't really think was the smartest thing in the world for Jerbear to do because he leaves Satu in the room with his head in a box. Yeah. Like, why would you do that? I guess he believes the head in a box can't do anything. And Satu did just say she her magic is out. Although why he would trust her, I don't know. But maybe yeah. he just panicked. Jerbear does not strike me as the type of vampire who would panic. No. No, you're right. So I just, It's a weird I, scene. It is a, it's a weird scene. Um, and then it gets weirder because Satu touches the head to get power. Somehow yeah. it transfers power from the head to her and she can use that to unlock the door to get out. Why would the head have even had any power to give? I, I don't know unless it's because... 
I mean, the head is being kept alive by vampire blood, presumably. That is so maybe that's that's preserved. I mean, clearly it's still the seer. Mm-hmm. So there is still some sort of mystical stuff in there. I don't know. It it doesn't make sense. But it it's, looks good. It does. It does look good. And I guess like if we're not diving too deep into it, it's not it's not like it works, mm-hmm. I guess. But it does just seem odd. It's a thread that you don't want to pull too hard, I think. Yeah. Really. But Setu does manage to get herself out of the locked room and brings the head with her. She does. She takes the head. Which I think is just another insight into Satu's character. She's She doesn't mm-hmm. think she's a bad person. She has compassion. She is horrified by what Jobert has done to this witch. Absolutely horrified by it. Um, and, and we'll see more of that in the last scene that we have with those two. Um, but before we get there, Matthew and Baldwin find Diana. And this, in conception, is one of my favorite parts of the episode. But in execution, I really don't like either. I um, Because, they, does, does that make sense? Yeah, no, I understand exactly what you're saying. Yeah. They, um, God, she has to have more flashbacks while in this scene, while preparing mm-hmm. herself to have her magic again. And Baldwin stops Matthew from going down into the hole because apparently if Matthew goes into the hole, they can't get him out either because ropes don't exist in this world. See, this is like, this is why it doesn't make sense to have Gervais run away and also Satu basically leave with the box. Because in the book, when they got there, nobody was there. It was just Diana in the hole. And so they were trying to be quick. Right. And stealthy. But in this one, like, them arriving made everybody leave. So why wouldn't Matthew have gotten in the hole and Baldwin gone for some rope? Right. Exactly. But they couldn't because we needed to have the vision of her parents, like, give her strength mm-hmm. and show us more spider webs and more light and more flashbacks and have Diana realize that she too can fly. And so she flies out of the hole into Matthew's outstretched arms. And we do get that line from Diana's dad about magic is in the heart. Yes. Which I guess is important because Diana it, thinks about Matthew and then she can fly. Yeah. Um, it still reads very much to me in this moment as if it's need-based magic because when she when he reminds her that magic is in the heart, she thinks of her love of him and her need to be with him. And that's how she gets out. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if yeah. that's the symbolism they yeah. were actually going for. I don't think it is, but I'm not positive about that. Um, I want to talk in our spoiler section kind of about this scene and about something Isabeau and Matthew say later and compare okay. it to how it read in the book because the way it's presented in the show is confusing to me. But yeah. if you have to understand it by reading the book, then we don't want to talk about it for our folks who have not yet read the books. One thing I will say about this scene is that I wish they'd made it like a bigger deal, like more of a moment. Like she just kind of floats upwards mm-hmm. and Matthew is kind of like, oh, she's flying. And then he grabs her and they're gone. But considering what happens later, this is supposed to be a big moment for Diana. Mm hmm. And I wish they'd, you know, given it 
some good music and a good uplifting, you know, like like made it a good cinematic moment. But instead, yes. it's just really subtle and understated. Mm -hmm. And like, and then over and done. Yeah, there was not really any good music in this episode. I mean, with this scene going into the scene where they arrive back at Setters, they kind of revisit the uh, one of their like romantic themes. And that was kind of nice, but it wasn't like a big moment, which right. is what I wanted from this. Yeah. We usually get some sort of big moment that's that's got one of those on-the-nose songs with lyrics. Yeah. And we didn't get any of those in this episode. And it actually, I, I missed it. Like, I, I felt the lack of that mm -hmm. because I feel like this show is somewhat defined by doing that. Or even just, like, um, like I, I feel like the scene where she used the witch wind was bigger than this. Like, was way bigger than this. And this is supposed to be, well, we can talk about that later. Right. But, you know, this is yeah. supposed to be a big moment for Diana. Right. And it, I, I just think that they did it way too subtly, mm -hmm. for my liking. Yeah. Anyways. No, no, I completely understand. They, they toned down a lot of things in this episode. Yeah. Um, and heavily focused on subtlety instead of in your face, I think. Um, which we see when we go back to Sator and we see the extent of her injuries. Yeah, and like they talk about her having this big bruise on her face. But, like, she's got two scratches. Right. She asks, is it broken? And that doesn't look like anything that could possibly be broken. Yeah. Yeah. And even if she had, like, okay, obviously, I am not a medical doctor. I know nothing about that sort of thing. But I feel like if you had a fracture in your skull, I don't think anybody, even a vampire, could tell just by, like, subtly running his fingers along your cheek. Right. Also, I get that it's TV, but her whole face would have just been black and blue. Like, she fell down that oubliette and landed on her face. She did. She absolutely did. It, she would have been one giant bruise. Mm -hmm. But it's television, so they can't do that. That's fine. And then uh, Matthew is going to, like, I don't know, move her or help her or something, and they realize that her back is all messed up. And so he cuts off her shirt and they see the branding that Setu did there. Which, interestingly and, enough, is Matthew's insignia. Yes. Which, like, Setu must have done on purpose in order to brand her as a traitor. Mm hmm But, like, how would she have known Matthew's insignia? Yeah, I, I don't know. I found that scene very odd. Because if you watch the actual torture, like, mm -hmm. her hand doesn't move. She draws the straight line. Mm hmm But that's it. It's like the magic does the rest of it. At least that's how it was portrayed in the in the show. It was that she did not actually draw this thing on her. The spell did it. And and I don't know if that's going to be important or if this was actually what Satu intended to put on her. Okay. I kind of read that differently. Like I sort of read them as two different spells in that she was doing the opening spell but then realized she wasn't going to get anywhere with it. And so instead got, like, angry and frustrated and then burned this onto Diana's back. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure which one it is. Yeah. If the spell put that on Diana's back, then that would be... Or maybe it was, like, a part of... Okay, I don't remember <sighs> enough about the books to feel like this could be a spoiler. This is speculation. Yeah. I am wondering if the spell did it because there's something in Diana that was protecting her from the spell. 
That would be interesting, especially since it was Matthew's insignia. It's just a just a thought. I I don't I honestly I don't remember from the book what happened. So I I feel like that might be the direction the show is going in, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Although the show did, I mean, it went out of the way to say that Satu branded her. So that might just be how they're interpreting it, though. That's true. That's true. Because I think at that point, spoilers, spoilers. Right. (laughs) And I think Diana shows remarkable strength here. She has, God, she has changed so much from the first episode. Mm -hmm. And we're only six episodes in it. It's amazing. Like the way that she stands there. And and she talks about it. I'm gonna let you do the line because you wrote it there. But oh yeah, um, she she just she has a sense of pride in herself at knowing what she can handle. Yeah. So when she's looking at what Setu did to her in the mirror, Diana says, "Setu said she was going to open me up, but she didn't." And she has this really satisfied smirk on her face. Yes, it's an it's an excellent facial expression in that yeah. moment. I think, you know, in previous episodes, we've talked a lot about what a good actor Matthew Good is, but Teresa Palmer is also a very good actor because it is a subtle shift in her face, but Mm -hmm. you know exactly how she's feeling. Mm -hmm. Even the way that she stands there, she's standing there showing us that she is in pain, but also showing us that she can stand tall at the same time. That she's proud. I, I don't even, I wouldn't even begin to know how to move my body that way. And to watch her do it and understand like intimately what she's trying to get across through her body language it's amazing Mm -hmm. but then we cut away from the awesomeness of Teresa Palmer to Gerbert all by himself licking blood off of the little drum thing it's pretty gross it is pretty gross I find it interesting that this is the second time in this episode that we've seen a vampire ingest blood and they did not show us what the vampire saw and every other time that we've yeah. seen a vampire bite someone or have blood, we've gotten those flashes. Like when Bear bit Juliet and when Matthew bit Jillian, we've seen I, what they saw. I didn't even think of that. That makes so much more sense about why Matthew would bite Baldwin. Yes, because he was trying to figure out if Baldwin was lying and he wanted yeah. to know where the congregation had Diana. But we didn't, didn't see what he saw. Me. Um. And and I think it's interesting. We don't see what Gerbert saw here, but he obviously saw something because his facial expression changed, like yeah. intensely changed. And then they cut away from him. So I'm really curious about what he saw. I'm not sure if the blood on the drum was Diana's or Satu's. I would assume Diana because I don't think Satu was bleeding at all. That's but I don't know. Really interesting. Then Be- okay, I can't believe I completely forgot about that. <laughs> Because, okay, I'm I'm shifting that to our book discussion. Okay. I'm going to go write it down so I don't forget. (laughs) Um, And then we abruptly cut away from Gerbert back to the amazing fireplace at the Ed Sator. I do love that fireplace. I do. Like, I could stand up inside that fireplace. I I think it's wonderful. That's like a childhood dream. Can you imagine taking a bath in that bathtub in front of that fireplace? It would be really good. Yeah. It'd be, like, oh. amazing. And a glass of red wine from their cellars. Oh. <laughs> so I really like this conversation that Diana and Matthew have because Diana, it, I mean, she is not holding back at all. She just immediately goes for it. Did mm-hmm. you kill Jillian? 
mm-hmm. because that's who said he did. And she just she can't believe it, you know, but she wants to know. So she just flat out asks him and he didn't. But he does tell her that he regrets not doing it, which I think is interesting. And that shows an honesty and like a level of honesty and vulnerability between the two of them. Yeah. And Diana seems okay with it. She does seem okay with it. And I I think she understands. I mean, especially given what she's just been through at the hands of witches Mm -hmm. and learning that witches killed her parents. I think there's a lot of emotions and stuff going on inside of Diana about witches and loyalty to witches that we're not necessarily seeing on the surface, but we're getting some of those consequences. Yeah. And, And so as they're having this conversation, she also... Obviously, the conversation shifts to Satu, and she makes Matthew promise not to go after Satu because she wants to deal with her herself, which I also think is such a departure from the Diana that we met in episode one. Absolutely. And I like it. Oh, I like it a lot. I love this Diana. I love that she is learning who she is, that she stands up for herself. She's not damseled. Skipping ahead of it. Do you think that she is suddenly more confident because, as we learn in a couple of scenes, her magic has been released now? I I don't think so. Okay. But that may be a, a more optimistic reading of the text or visual. I don't know. I right. like to think it's just, honestly, this, this reads very much like a coming-of-age story. Mm-hmm. And in a true coming-of-age story, you learn... You grow into yourself. You don't suddenly have magic turn you into who you are. Right. And, and so I, I don't want to believe that suddenly being able to access her magic is the thing that gives her herself. Yes, it's a part of her. It's, it's in her blood. It is part of who she is. Mm-hmm. But I think that she needed to understand her own strength without the magic in order to become who we're seeing her be. Okay. That's, that's how I want it to be, because if she had to have her magic to feel that way, then it is a little more damseled, because then she didn't save herself, her magic saved her. Yeah, I gotcha. I think I think I read it a little differently just because I have reread the book so recently, and I think it's presented differently in the book. But a lot of stuff is presented differently in the book. So, But I, I like what you're saying, too, that she sort of came out the other side of this more, like, because she did you know, keep her secrets and fight Satu off. Basically. Mm-hmm. Not like physically, but you know what I mean. Right. Satu she survived. Up. Yeah. You know, she she was able to handle it and and then she got herself out of that damn hole. Yeah. You know, I, I feel like that should be lauded for what it mm-hmm. is. I mean, yeah, so she did use magic to get out of the hole, obviously, but But that's she, that's part of who she is. Right. I mean she she stood up to Satu. She like she said, she Satu said she's going to open me up, but she didn't, and she's mm-hmm. proud of that. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I think it all just, I don't know what I'm trying to say now. I already said what I think, so yeah. <laughs> I'm going to stop rambling. Uh, this is also the scene where when, when Matthew threatens to, or says that he would kill Jillian if he had the chance, and he'll kill anybody who threatens Diana, and he says, I told you, and Diana replies, I know you told me. We never saw that conversation. I don't know what that's about. Was it, I told you I would protect you, maybe? Even if it was, he, like, I'm not saying, I'm just saying that this is referencing a conversation again that must have happened off screen. Off screen. Okay. Which I don't have any problem with. I actually like the idea that they're implying that 
you know, more has happened that we haven't seen. Mm -hmm. It definitely gives a, a fuller feel to the world. Yeah. That we don't get to see everything that happens. All I want, I really want to see that first conversation between Matthew and Sarah. It must have been fabulous. Right. How dare you touch my girl? <laughs> get your hands off her. Vampire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that would have been fantastic. Um, but then we cut from this nice and touching scene between Matthew and Diana to Matthew and Baldwin mm-hmm. in his father's office or in his office and in, in somebody's office in this big house. And God, Baldwin in this scene, I just I can't. How's the witch? It's so disrespectful. Mm-hmm. You know, he knows he knows what Jerbera and Satu did to her and he can't even call her by her name. Yeah. And then he says he's still going to take her back to the congregation, the congregation that Jerbear and Satu are on. I am not here for this. Yeah, this is like Baldwin's low point here. Like, I get that he's kind of a rules person, but what is he expecting to happen? Yeah, I, I don't know. And honestly, did he really think Matthew was going to let that happen? Really? Yeah. I, again, what was he expecting there? Like, <laughs> Matthew be like, yeah, that's cool. Like, he just witnessed Matthew go on this countrywide, basically, hunt for her. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the first thing he says when he gets Diana back is, I'll never let anyone take you again. And Baldwin is standing right there. Or I'll never let you out of my sight, or whatever he says. Like, Baldwin is standing right there when that happens. And then Baldwin's like, yeah, I'm taking her. <laughs> like, what, what did he imagine the outcome would be? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think he expected Matthew to do what he did, though. Um, So Matthew... We, we we had briefly heard in the last episode when Diana snooped through his desk, she found the insignia for the Knights of Lazarus of Bethany. Mm-hmm. And so Matthew invokes the Knights of Lazarus here to protect Diana so that it's no longer a family matter. And if it's not a family matter, then it doesn't matter if Baldwin's the head of the family. Mm-hmm. And Baldwin is pissed. Like, yes. I legitimately thought fire was going to come out of his head. <laughs> so this bit... Is when we find out how crafty Philippe really is. Mm-hmm. That he left Baldwin to be the head of the family, but left Matthew to be the head of the knights. Mm-hmm. So that they could never quite control each other. Yeah, it's a fantastic bit of, of checks and balances. And only yeah. the the most skilled of strategists could do that. I, I was going to say a second ago, if, if like Baldwin were more like Philippe, I would have almost thought, he he threatened Diana that way on purpose to get Matthew to invoke the knights. But I don't mm. think Baldwin is that type of crafty. No. But, like, that's how Philippe would have handled that situation. Because he was like, Matthew, maybe you should take some responsibility for what's going on here. Yeah. In his, his dad vampire way. But because it's Baldwin. Oh, yeah. No, and Baldwin is way too pissed that this happens for him, for it to have been something he was trying to put into motion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he is full of fury and rage and he, he cusses and it's just it, it's a lot of yelling a lot of yelling but in another surprising show of vampire politics he does what he's supposed to do he makes it clear mm-hmm. he's unhappy about it but he accepts his place as okay if this isn't a family matter if the knights of lazarus are going to do it i have to submit to Matthew because Matthew is in charge. And so he does it. He does it begrudgingly. And on his way out of the house, he actually stops to offer words of advice on his way out. It's kind of reminiscent to what Isabeau did when she accepted Diana into the family. Mm -hmm. 
and it's it's clear he's not happy. But if he has to be a part of it, then he wants it to be successful. And so he's telling them, you've got fire, you need to fight, and you need to make your move first. Yeah. And I, I like it. I like it, too. And I like that he's, once he leaves that room, I think he does, you know, when he's talking to Diana, I think he uses her name and is nice he to does. her. He did. And that, at that moment, he said, Diana, until we meet again. Yeah. So it, it shows that he was kind of trying to manipulate Matthew before. Mm-hmm. But just well, isn't that good at it? Yeah, it's a. I read it as like begrudging respect. I think yeah. in that moment, and I God, I think creature politics are just so fascinating. Me too. I'm I'm curious to see where this Knights of Lazarus thing is going to go. Yes, but we don't find that out in this episode because we cut back to Satu and Merit Mer- Mary Diana Mary Diana Mary Diana the head the head in the box. <laughs> Satu has taken her outside and starts talking to her, mm-hmm. wanting to know who she is. And we learned that she is Mary Diana, and Satu is crying. And she says, Are you the Mary Diana? Apparently, this is someone of import. Well, Mary Diana is like the historically known, like in, in reality, outside of the book slash, slash show. Okay, I tried to Google it, but all the results I got were about the show. You have to Google, like, Gilbert Orlock or whatever. Okay. Pope Sylvester, whatever he was, who was rumored to have this head called Mary Diana. Okay. So Setu might know of that rumor that Mm -hmm. Gilbert had this head. Maybe. Back in... I Well, I was wondering if, if Mary Diana was an important witch from witch history who was very powerful and very famous, and so... I, I don't know if, if Satu yeah. is referring to just the rumors of the head or if she actually knew who Mary Diana was. Uh, but when she learns who she was, she cries. Mm-hmm. She's very upset. She's heartbroken that yeah. this has happened to her, that Jerbear has done this to her. And then Mary Diana asks Satu for help. And before Satu does what she needs to do, we get the prophecy again. Because, of course, Satu needs to hear it, too. Yeah. What is this, like four times we've gotten this prophecy in eight, sorry, six episodes, mm-hmm. I think? It's been quite, kind of a lot, so yeah. I guess it's important. Nah, it's not important. They're certainly <laughs> making it seem important. <laughs> yeah. Just to say, um, the legend or whatever of, of Gilbert as the Pope having the head was from the 1400s, so even if she didn't, uh, like know who she was she may have known like Javert's just had this head in a box for a very long time so yeah. it might have been that that what made her like oh god yeah okay that that yeah i think that alone just recognizing how long it, it had been would yeah. be heartbreaking and horrifying to be confronted with her and know that this is a live witch who has been reduced to a head in a box you know what a horrifying existence and a, a an exploitive existence and and i like i like that we get this complicated character in satu i like that mm-hmm. we see this we didn't get any of this in the book yeah and and so this is god usually god villains are villains you know we don't get to see the good side of them unless we're watching something that's flipped from the perspective of the villain like when you watch wicked about the wicked witch of the west you know yeah 
And and so to see Satu be the villain, we get to see her through Diana's eyes and Matthew's eyes, but now we're getting to see her through her own eyes. Mm-hmm. And I I really like that the show has done this. I I like it too, and I like how we see that she isn't all bad, but was you know raised in this society that taught her that only witches matter. Like humans don't matter; she'll murder them. Whatever. Mm-hmm. vampires and demons don't matter she doesn't care she'll use them or not whatever and which is that have betrayed them mm-hmm. she'll do whatever it takes right and i think it really drives home how toxic the current creature society is yeah and how like what matthew and diana are doing or what they're fighting against has had mm-hmm really long-lasting, bigger consequences than just two people in love want to be together. It's it's more that it's changed their whole way of thinking, that somebody who could be a good person has been taught to be, to really only care about herself and the people like her and mm-hmm. nobody else. Absolutely. And I think that that is interesting, and I think they did a very good job of showing us that in Satu. Mm-hmm. I mean, this show goes deep. Yeah. And then we get a cut to one of my favorite scenes in the episode, which was completely unexpected. Mm -hmm. We cut to Sophie, Nat, and Agatha. You don't expect to see them at all because all we've gotten so far is torture and more torture and torture. Mm -hmm. But then we get Sophie's face is just so delightful and innocent, and it just makes me smile when I see it. Yeah, I think... I think sometimes I find the character of Sophie in the show a little annoying, but I think they're like, that's all on purpose, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I just think the actress did a really good job with her. She did. I feel like she embodies all of the lightness of the world that everybody else is lacking. Yeah. Honestly, it's weird. I, I That's the best way that I can explain it. Um, but and we get a little bit more uh, information about species in this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, there hasn't really been any science in this episode up until now. Um, and, and this is really only building on stuff that we've talked about in previous episodes. So we don't actually have Dr. Anya here to give us a science segment, Mm -hmm. but we wanted to kind of circle back to a conversation that we had with her a few weeks ago about, well, what is a species? What makes a witch a witch? What makes a demon a demon? Because in this episode we learned that sophie is a demon who was born to a line of witches and it's shocking Mm -hmm. agatha says that's not possible are you a witch that's immediately the first thing she says have you been lying this whole time are you a witch and we learn no she's a demon but she thinks her baby's gonna be a witch and you know what does this mean i love this scene because agatha is immediately like you didn't tell me why? I obviously I'm loyal to you guys. You're my first priority. The congregation is is not, mm-hmm. and I just love Agatha so much. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a nice scene to release some of the tension that we've gotten in this episode. So I'm really glad they included it. Honestly, yeah. It's a nice sort of exhale, I suppose, after the tension of the rest of the episode. Mm-hmm. And I just love their family so much. I do too. I really do. They make me smile. That's all I got. Mm-hmm. And I I like that Sophie is portrayed as this, like, innocent person, but she's also very confident, mm-hmm. you know, which is not something you see too often. 
she she knows what she needs to do and she'll she'll do anything to do it yeah more often than not this character type is written as overly apologetic and they didn't do that with her and i love it yeah exactly and this conversation does prompt agatha to actually tell sophie diana's name yes which we've known for episodes that diana is is who sophie is talking about but we needed sophie to know and so we finally we got that moment i don't know what's going to happen where that's going to lead but sophie knows her name Mm -hmm. just as a quick aside i kind of hate that throughout the series they've had you know conversations about chess and like chess pieces and metaphors and that sort of thing but have somehow never worked a bishop piece into it it's always about the queen that's all oh that's good yeah (laughs) you're absolutely right and then we cut back to one final scene between Satu and the head in a box because yes. the head has asked Satu to release her, to finally let her go. And Satu is able to take the last bit of power that she took from the head. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know what she does. The head sort of burns up from the inside out and floats into the ether. Yeah. They don't really explain what's happening there, but but clearly she's been released of something. She's no longer in Gerber's thrall. She's not in this box anymore. She has gotten peace, I hope. I hope so, too. No more uh, head in a box. Oh, she takes the mask off before she sets her on fire. She does. She takes the mask off first and, and you know, talks to her. And the head says something very interesting. The mm-hmm. head says to Satu, thank you, Weaver. Yes. And then the head is gone. And Setu seems confused about that word. Yes. Doesn't understand what it means. We don't Mm -hmm. understand what it means. It's the first time we've heard that term in the show. It's very interesting that the head in the box that's been giving this prophecy also calls Setu something that we haven't heard before. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. Just maybe some foreshadowing about things. Maybe. Maybe it's important. Could be. I don't know. And then we'll be back at Sitters. And we close on a scene that I actually don't like. And we're going to talk about the scene more in depth in a few minutes. Okay. But in the show, what happens is Diana says, I feel lighter. And, you know, Isabeau's like, well, you should. You know, things happened. And Matthew says, well, we thought you were spellbound and and now you're not. (laughs) And also, like... Everything else aside, Diana looks really good here for somebody who was just tortured and thrown around. She, like, she looks does. fine. Doesn't her hair look like it got longer? It, it, maybe I'm the only one who noticed that. I don't remember. But she looked, I mean, she looked radiant. Yeah, she looked in, in so this great. Episode, or at this point. And, you know, so she, she hears that, that she had been spellbound and that it's been broken. And they ask, you know, who'd want to do this? And she says, no, because... Only witches who were mad were ever spellbound, witches mm-hmm. who hurt people. And then she turns around, looks in the mirror, touches her stomach, and says, what am I? Yeah. In a way that women who are pregnant touch their stomach when they're looking in a mirror. It's very so, odd. It is odd, but that I actually think is probably a Teresa Palmer choice. Uh, because she was be- pregnant? I don't think she was at the time, um, but like pregnancy is like she does blogs about pregnancy like this is her whole other thing okay about her so she 
I think that's just her. Okay. You know? Okay. Well, we close on Diana asking, what am I? And that, that is the end of the episode. We've talked a lot about this episode already, and we haven't even really talked about our favorites. I mean, we've mentioned a few of them. Yeah. So before we jump into spoilers and some of the book-related issues that we have, what did you really like? I have a real soft spot for whenever a character's been super beat up, and then their like love interest has to take care of them. I love that a lot. Mm-hmm. And so when Matthew brought her back and like kissed her on the head a couple times and was so sweet i just love it yeah oh absolutely i love it so much and we've talked a lot about satu and the extra development that she gets in the show versus the book and i i really love what they're doing with satu Mm -hmm. i still think she's evil yes but she's an interesting evil yes and i think interesting evil is the best kind because evil for the sake of being evil is just boring yeah, and they exactly. haven't done that here. Mm-hmm. So did you happen to notice that Isabeau was wearing blue in this episode? I did not notice that, but that is very interesting. So this is the first episode where we actually see Isabeau being genuinely supportive of Diana. Yeah. Like, like, genu- like of her own volition. You know, it's not because she has to because she's being loyal to Matthew. She has genuine concern for Diana and her well-being. She's wearing a blue top. Although it's really like a dark kind of greenish blue, but her mm-hmm. scarf is blue and yellow. And I mm. think it's the first time she's worn blue. I think so, too. I don't remember any other blue. Um, so earlier in the episode, she was wearing red. And in previous episodes, she's worn white and she's worn black, very like neutral, stark colors. Mm-hmm. And so this was probably the softest we've seen her. And I, just, I thought it was interesting. And just like the outfit itself. I think she was wearing like a big sweater. Mm hmm. You know, like that's different than the than the outfits that she's worn before. More comforting, I suppose. Yes. Um, we already talked about Agatha, Sophie, and Nat. So yeah, they're great. I think one of my favorite lines from this episode was when they've realized that Diana's back is messed up, and Isabeau and Mart and Matthew have seen the brand, and mm-hmm. Diana wants to see it, and Isabeau tries to stop it, and he, she says something like. You know, she's been through enough. And Matthew looks at her and says, she survived the doing of it. Seeing it can't possibly be worse. And Mm -hmm. I love that line because he is, he is continuing to see her strength and he is continuing to allow her to be strong. And he's, he's being protective of her, Mm -hmm. but not in a way where, like we talked about with what Hamish said last episode, don't think for her. He's yeah. letting her think for herself and he's being there and being supportive for her while she does that thing. And in so many other stories, he would have agreed with Isabeau and been like, oh, no, you don't need to see that. You need to rest when you're feeling stronger. We'll do that. And they didn't do that here. You know, Diana saved herself. This is her story. It's not Matthew's. And the show has not lost sight of that. And I absolutely adore it. Yeah. And then I, on top- I agree. OK. Do you want to say anything else? Sorry. Well, I did want to say just in that scene, because I forgot to mention it earlier, it's very ridiculous because the whole looking at her back in the mirror thing would not have worked. You could not see her back that way. And I, I know. It's funny. <laughs> no. I'm like, they should have gotten her a hand mirror so she could hold it up while she's looking in the mirror to actually see it. Yeah. Like, there's no way she could see that reflection. Like, we could see what she could see, and it was her shoulder, not her back. <laughs> exactly. 
<laughs> but I'm going to let it go because the rest of the episode is so good. Yes. Um, and then the last thing that I just loved, Matthew Good and Teresa Palmer killed it in this episode. Yes. Their facial expressions, their body language, Matthew's silent rage, his not silent rage, her terror, her fear, her strength, all of it. They just nailed it. I, 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 I don't know what else to say about it, except it was fantastic. Yes. You know, I think oh, Matthew yes. Good gets a lot of credit for being really good in this. I did it again. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't hear people talk about Teresa Palmer as often, but she absolutely deserves it because she is fucking fantastic. I agree completely. Both of them were like uh, we've talked about it before in this episode, but like both of them have just subtle facial changes and you know exactly mm-hmm. what they're thinking and what's happening. And it's so good. Yeah. All right. So we are going to jump into some spoilers and things that happened in the book or things that may come up in the last two episodes of the season. So if you have not read the book or have not seen all of the episodes, please turn us off now and we will see you next week. For the rest of you, please proceed at your own risk. So, yeah, the torture. I expected more. Did you expect more? I don't know what I expected. I understand why they cut it back. For a TV show, because it was it was intense in the book, mm-hmm. and she was not you know suddenly okay the next morning. Right? No, she had to be wheeled. Like when they leave, so they're going to Madison in the next episode. In the book, she had to be wheeled out of Sator in a wheelchair because she yeah. still was so not okay. Like her ankle was messed up from where she was dropped in the hole. You know, she I don't know. It was just it was bad. It was it was really bad. The um, thing in the book, though, like, she's still really bad, but then as soon as they get to Madison, Sarah heals her a lot, mm-hmm. so she's a lot better. So I guess they just decided to skip that, since it is kind of promptly dealt with anyways. Maybe, yeah. But it still just feels unrealistic that she's suddenly okay. Yeah. I I think, honestly, there are two things that I think that are fueling my feelings about the torture. Is One, the special effects just weren't that great. Yeah. And, and so if they had been better, I would have felt like it was more intense. Um, if she had actually been repeatedly slammed into the ground instead of softly placed in the ground on a yeah. pile of leaves, no less. Um, it, it probably would have come across differently. Um, though I wonder if part of why they had her get better so quickly is to show visually her strength. Maybe. To make it look like so that we could see the difference in her. So Maybe. she's she's not injured. She's not. Oh, what's the word that I'm looking for? I don't know. She's not vulnerable. Yeah. They're they're trying to show that that she is moving past that, and and that I mean it's obviously a choice that they made on purpose. I I just don't understand it. It was definitely less intense than it was in the book. And also in the book, she has some serious PTSD from this, mm-hmm. which I appreciated. Well, yeah, and it lingers throughout the rest yeah. of the trilogy. Like, it comes up in mm-hmm. both book two and book three. Yeah. Because no, this was so traumatic for her. And yes, and it looks like they're just going to ignore that, which, again, I understand why they would in a TV show. But I liked that in the book it was talked about that she she wouldn't, like, this would affect her mentally as well mm-hmm. as physically. And, you know, maybe it will. Maybe the adrenaline and the shock are, are fueling her right now. and she'll have a moment next season where she sees somebody who reminds her of Satu and she panics. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. 
Um, it would be really nice if they did that, actually. So I have a question for you about the whole spellbinding thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was really unclear what happened in, in the show. Yep. In, in the book, it's very clear. Yep. In the book, she didn't have a vision. The ghost of Rebecca and Stephen came to help her. Mm-hmm. And they helped her break the binding because I think it was actually because, oh, we don't know this yet in the show, but because Stephen was a time walker, they knew that this was going to happen to her. And so they were able to tie the spell to kind of expire when she needed it the most. Yeah. And, and so that's why she was able to do what she was able to do. And in this, it's very unclear, like, what broke the spellbinding? Was it the torture? Was it the strength that she survived the torture? Was it the vision that she had? Was it a vision? I don't know. And, you know, we, we do actually find out in the show that her parents spellbound her in the next episode, but that's not even clear at this point. Yeah. I don't know, because in the book, I feel like it wasn't as immediate of a change. Like, she went down the hole, and there were a lot of ghosts. It wasn't just her parents. There was a mm-hmm. lot going down, down on down that hole. But when her parents were there, they specifically were, like, they showed her that she was all wrapped up in ribbons. Right. And that she had to unspool the right ribbon to be able to fly. Right. So even then, it's not clear. Like, they don't use the word spellbound. Like, she doesn't actually connect the dots that that's what that meant. At least not and, right and, away. Right. Yeah. I don't know. It just feels the way they did it in the show feels very confusing. And I'm, I really wonder how people who haven't read the books have interpreted it. I would be interested also. But also, I, I feel like they went with this whole spider web imagery because it was creepier when the book, the book didn't do that. And the sort of tied up in ribbons thing isn't like nicer and is more something your parents might do, you right. know, not spider webs. Well, I think they went with the webs because of Weaver. Spiders are weavers. Oh, I guess. But I wish it wasn't spider webs. <laughs> I don't know. It just seems weird. And and again, like I talked about, I just wish that had been more of a moment, more of a her, like, breaking free moment, something. It yeah. It's so it, weird. It should have felt triumphant, and it didn't. Yeah. Absolutely. You want to talk about know. your blood thing? Oh, okay. So, like, the idea that your bear got some of her blood, there is a huge deal in book two about this other vampire wanting to drink her blood, mm-hmm. and Matthew and Diana not letting that at all. And I'm, like, this is crazy that Javert would get some of her blood, because it is a huge deal in the books. Yeah, because in the, I think in the book, they've figured out what Diana is, and they don't want anybody to know. Yeah. And that's why they're so protective of her blood. And and so it makes me wonder if it was Satu's blood on the drum and not Diana's. It it was just unclear because we never saw the blood get on the drum and we didn't see what he saw. But we also never saw Satu bleed or get hurt or anything. So I don't know. Yeah. It's unless I don't know. Can can he taste? Does the same thing happen if he tastes sweat or something? I don't know. But in the book, it is heavily implied that if somebody were to taste Diana's blood, they would know mm-hmm. about yeah. what she is and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, but That's, at this point, we didn't know that. Yeah. That's, I Yeah, I don't know. It's. I'm really curious to see where they're going. That's, it's a weird choice to make. 
Unless they just ignore that and just have it be like a creepy Gerbert moment. Which is also a choice. They yeah. They could ignore it. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. So this season, they truncated so much of the book. Mm-hmm. Like so much. They did it well. It's a good adaptation, but there's so much that's left out. Season two is like double the information. I feel like there's so much happening that you just really can't condense. And so I don't I don't know how they're going to handle it. So I honestly do hope that they do it in two seasons instead of just one. I I don't want them to do extra seasons. I just want them to do longer seasons. But yeah, I I would actually prefer that, but my assumption is they're not going to do that because they just don't do that on British TV shows. Yeah. I don't know. I have been trying to steer clear of a lot of the like actual promotional stuff because I don't want other sources influencing the things that I say or do in our show. Right. So I like I don't even follow their Twitter accounts and stuff because I'm trying to keep it separate until we're done recording <laughs> and actually talk about stuff. But yeah, I I hope they don't split it. I don't think that that would work as well. I don't think there's a good place to split it. I mean, not that they couldn't come up with something. I'm sure they could. That's what writers yeah, do. But that, that's absolutely what writers do. I'm sure they're going to do wonderful things and yeah. we're going to love it no matter what they do. I just can't picture how they're going to do it. So I'm really looking forward to season two. And I hate that it's going to be so long before we get it. Yeah. I hate that we don't know. You know, if mm-hmm. I, if I knew... How many episodes and when the premiere date was, I'd be happier. But we, as of this recording, we don't know possibly when this episode goes up. That's true, but that's okay. Anything else? No, I think that's it if you want to take us out. All right. So we'd love to know what you think of Matthew and Diana so far. Use hashtag Desire Made Real to join our conversation on Twitter. I'm Caitlin, and you can find my other show at acommandofherown.com, or you can find me on Twitter at Inferior Caitlin. And I am Andy Kay, and you can find this show and all of the other Eloquent Gushing shows at eloquentgushing.com. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing, or you can find me on Twitter at Mandy Kay. That's M-A-N-D-I-K-A-Y-E. Join us next week as we talk about episode seven, where Matthew and Sarah finally meet. Until we meet again, remember that with every ending, there's a new beginning.